0: this little two-week mini-series, Revelations Through Rest, Revelations Through Rest, and uh, one thing we did get to do on sabbatical was was travel a bit, and uh, traveling as a family of five is an adventure. Parents, say amen to that, right? It's an adventure, and specifically for us, it's usually on the return flight back home because we usually rented a car, and we have to take it back, not to the airport, that would be too easy. Anybody feel me on that? We have to take it back to another location and then ride a shuttle, drag our luggage through a, one garage, get on the shuttle, then get to another garage, drag our luggage through that garage up until we can check our bags again, right? And we typically have this experience, and my wife is so wise, right? I'll just tell you that up front if you don't know my wife. She's so wise, and typically at that moment, she'll say, babe, maybe we should use one of these carts, For our luggage, like the people are nice here and they give us that on purpose. For for families like us, like the families that you see at the airport with all the luggage that you're like, why? What's the point? This is not vacation. Like that's our family. And she's like, why don't we take one of these carts? And I'm like, babe, I, I got this. And so it never fails, like I got like two uh, rolling suitcases, I got like three neck pillows, I got like the bag just with the stuffed animals in it slung over my shoulder, I got the booster seat like connected to one of the neck pillows around my neck, like we're one of those families and I'm walking through and listen, I do have it for like 10 seconds and inevitably it's not a gracious fall, it's like Humpty Dumpty, it's a great fall. Inevitably, everything comes crumbling down, some things start to break, and it's not good. And here's why I start today with that, because I think for a lot of us, that's a picture of our lives. We're carrying around a lot of luggage we got the career and finances over one shoulder and then add on top of that the promotion that we're seeking. And then on another shoulder, we got our kids' activities and their schoolwork and, and trying to get them that scholarship one day. And, and on another shoulder and kind of wagging behind us around the neck maybe is, is our family and appointments and maybe some appearances, if we're honest. And trying to keep up with that other family who seems to do everything so well. And trying to keep up with that other person on Instagram, you're just looking at their highlights. You're like, man, I'm looking at the behind the scenes of my life, and how do I keep up appearances? And we're taking all that luggage around with us, and it's not just luggage. It's also baggage, like mental, emotional pain from our past, sins that we're still carrying with us that we thought would be gone a long time ago, and we're carrying that that baggage literally with us and people come around you and they see you walking heavy and they see you taking a dip and they're like man do you need some help with that maybe you should take some of this off set it down and maybe you should rest and you look at them and do the same thing I did to my wife you say come on really I got this got this career i got this finances i got i got the appearances i got the appointments i even the baggage like that sin i i can i could still overcome that i can do this and you're white knuckling everything and you never stop and put it down and take a rest and ask for help some of you if you're honest you're there this morning while we were singing instead of resting in the presence of god You had this cloud of burden and distraction and stress hovering over you, and you're in church, the the one place you should be able to to rest and throw it off, and you know it's still on, and some of you are there this morning, and so I want to share some of my sabbatical journey, some lessons I learned, and rest so that you can be saved from that kind of pain so, so that you don't break. Like the luggage falls off and it breaks. Sometimes people break, right? Watch the news, watch celebrities. People break because they don't stop, rest, ask for help. I wanna save you from that. And so we're gonna look at some things I learned. We're just gonna look at four, not 30. So everybody take a deep breath, All right. And I would love you to write these things down. I think they're going to be entirely helpful for you. They're my experience, but it's going to be helpful for you. And so I'm going to give you a few verses. You can jot the references down, look at them on the screen, and come back to them. But, but here's my first takeaway from sabbatical that I think is going to be super practical and helpful for you. And it's this, is that rest requires work, but it's always worth it. Rest requires work, but it's always worth it worth it. We, we've talked about this before, but you don't just need to rest, you're wired to rest. Here's how I know that. You look at the very beginning of your Bible, you see the book of Genesis with God himself. Six days he worked, on the seventh day he rested. You see in the book of Exodus, not just with God, but with God's people, and he, he says, hey, this is actually a command, not a suggestion. The fourth commandment, you should rest. And we see six days we work. Seventh day, we rest. There's this rhythm woven into creation and wired into you to rest. That's why about 7 p.m. every single night in Phoenix, you start to see the lights go out. You start to see the sunset, and you're reminded, okay, I need to, I need to rest. That's why every time your iPhone is glitching and you take it to the Apple store, the first thing the guy says to you is What? When's the last time you turned it off? <laughs> and some of y'all are like, 2012? I, I can't remember. Why would I turn it off? It's my IV connected to me. It's keeping me alive. And you're reminded, even just with your iPhone glitching, rest is woven into creation and it's wired into you. And here's the reality with that. We have to work so that we can Rest. And I see that in Exodus chapter 16 with the Israelites, with God's people who were given this command to rest. Exodus 16, 22 through 23, it says this, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. You see, the Israelites, they had to work extra, gather extra on the sixth day, so they could truly rest on the seventh day. And it's the same way for us. And this is something that hit me hard at the beginning of my sabbatical. To truly rest, you have to do some extra work to plan for that. Right? So at the beginning of my sabbatical, it was restful. Like once we actually got on sabbatical, it was restful. But the month preceding sabbatical was stressful. Because it was full of planning and planning days with my staff and talking through what-if scenarios and worst-case scenarios and and talking through things that I did that I didn't even realize I did and passing them on to my staff. And, And it was talking about even the fall because we wanted to come back and hit the ground running. And it was a lot of work leading up to my sabbatical so that I could rest, But it wasn't just with the church, it was also with me personally and with my family. It was planning out travel and and dog sitting and babysitting and COVID tests, and it was a lot of work so that we could rest. And listen, it's not just this way with an extended period of rest and sabbatical. It's this way anytime we are able to truly rest, How many of you on a Saturday are working at the office instead of resting, and the reality is because on Wednesday, instead of working, you were playing Candy Crush too much on your phone? Come on, somebody. Anybody want to testify to that? It's okay. We're in church. We can be honest. It's a safe place. How many of you on a Sunday, college students, you are cramming and stressing for that exam or project that's due at midnight. Come on, GCU. (laughs) And instead of resting on a Sunday afternoon, you're cramming and stressing on a Sunday afternoon. And if you look at your past week, it's because instead of working on those things during the week, you consumed your life with other things. The tyranny of the urgent. What somebody else said was important so that you didn't actually get done what you were supposed to get done. And so now instead of resting on the weekend, you're making up for that work by working on the weekend. Anybody resonate with this? And So one of these principles I learned in my sabbatical was just, man, true rest. If you're going to actually rest, it takes work. And so we need to build in rhythms of our life where we plan work so that we can truly rest. And so one of the things I had to do on my sabbatical was this. And the reason I realized that I need some work in the area of rest uh, was not just from my first Holy Spirit, like God, it was from my second Holy Spirit, like my wife. (laughs) You see, one of the weekends early on in my sabbatical, uh, my wife was just walking around like, you know, just so light and and enjoying life so much. I was like, babe, what's going on? She's just like, I just enjoy my weekend. (laughs) It just just, feels different. It feels so light. I said, Babe, what do you mean? And she's like, I think I understand why, why normal people say they're working for the weekend. Everybody's working for the weekend. Yeah. And she's like, I think I feel that on Saturday. And I don't know if I felt that before. You see, the reality and the conversation we had to have after that was over the last seven years of starting Phoenix Bible Church, there have been seasons where the church took over our weekend. Well, the church took over our lives. And starting a church, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of things to do, and we don't have a lot of staff, so, so I would do all of those things, and, and I would do them into the weekend. And even when we had staff, there would be crisis at time or conflict at time, and that would be put on my desk, and I, well, I'm the shepherd, I have to care for everybody else, and these people expect me to do this, and so I have to do this, and so maybe the sermon gets pushed on the back burner, And so that Friday night, instead of watching Luca, the movie, great movie by the way, on Disney Plus with my kids, I'm in my head, I'm planning out the sermon and and retooling it and and thinking about what this person did or said and this conflict and and how we're going to hire this person And, and I'm doing that Friday night and that bleeds into Saturday and so much so that the church took over our weekend, it took over our lives, so listen, the hard part of sabbatical is I had to sit down with my wife and think, how are we going to change that? How are we going to adjust the work that I do during the week, my rhythms during the week, so that we can rest on the weekend, so we can have a Sabbath? We don't need to just wait seven years for a sabbatical. We can have a Sabbath weekly. And that was hard, but it's been helpful. And my question to you is, what adjustments do you need to make with your work so you can rest? How do you need to prioritize? What conversation do you need to have with your spouse when you go home? Some of you are like, I don't, Tim, I don't want to do that. But you need, if you're going to rest, people, it's a command, not a suggestion. you got to figure this out. What is it going to look like for you? And what needs to change about your work week? What boundaries do you need to set up so that you can rest? First thing I learned is rest requires work. The second thing, I learned is don't get lost in the pain of the past or the possibility of the future and miss the power of the present. I see that in James 4, 14. It says this. He says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I love James because he's so great with illustrations, right? James says, here's what your life is like. You know, when you sprayed for a breeze on your couch, poof. That's what your life is like. It's a mist that's here and then vanishes. And the reality is, one of the things I learned during sabbatical is is just how real that is. And, And listen, you don't need me to preach this to you. You don't need James to preach this to you. Life preaches this to you all the time. How many of you, at the beginning of the summer, you said, man, I can't believe it's already summer, how many of you, as we enter into the fall, you said, how are we already into the fall? Where'd Summer go?" Amen, college students? Hey, where'd it go? Poof. Your life is like a mist. It, it vanishes. We all know this, but again, it took sabbatical for us and my family, we, we took an intentional time of reflection just to remember the brevity of life, how to make the most of each moment, how to be fully present in the present. And we did that primarily through looking at pictures. (laughs) See, my wife and I have been married 15 years, and we have three kids, and we've lived in three states. And even since we moved to Phoenix, we lived in four homes. Don't be jealous, right? (laughs) And that wasn't by design, right? We didn't do that on purpose. We bought a house two years ago. Let me just tell you, I'm never moving again, right? I, I get a little twitch in my neck every time I see a moving truck. And I'm like, babe, we're staying here forever. But as I've looked at all these transitions and seasons in our lives, and as we took time intentionally to reflect upon that during sabbatical, man, I can tell you that I just saw so many seasons that I realized, I think I missed some of that. I don't, I don't really remember that. Some of it was like, I don't remember that house. I remember living there. And some of it was crazy to show our kids, our kids are 12, nine, and six, pray for me, and it was so amazing to, to see their responses as they looked at these pictures and to see my daughter, who's 12 years old now, look back at these pictures when we first came to Phoenix and she was in kindergarten. And she's like, man, that's crazy. I've been here in Phoenix that long. And it's so cute to see my, my six-year-old daughter uh, say, where am I? <laughs> in Portland, and Austin, I, oh, where am I? We're like, babe, you didn't exist then, and you just realize, what do we say, parents? The days are long, but the years go by so fast. You start looking at these pictures like, Man, that's true. That'll preach. That's so true. And, and I couldn't help, but as, as we reflected, just to be honest and think as a dad, there's sometimes where I've missed some of those seasons. And as we got to talking about it more with my first Holy Spirit and my second, my wife, As we got to talk about it more, just kind of realize, man, a lot of me missing the power of the present moment was because I was stuck in the pain of the past moment or the possibility of the future moment. And and maybe it was because of of something from the past, or maybe it was become something specific in the future, but a lot of it is. We just tend to regret the past and romanticize the future, And, and we do that kind of in every season so that we miss the power of the present season. Anybody with me? And I just began to look at all these stages and seasons and would realize, man, in that season, I was just hoping we would get the building and the church building that you're in now. And I just missed the season at ASU Prep because I was always so discontent with it and I didn't want to set up and tear down. And I would just miss the season when my kids like, weren't in school. God, please help them get in school. I love them, but I'm not sure if I like them that much. Can we get them into school? and? I don't know if you're like me, but I just I can tend to focus on that next season or the past season and miss the present season. Listen, here, here's why that's a bad thing. Here's why that, that inhibits our rest is because God and His presence are in the present. We're supposed to rest in who? Come on, somebody. Jesus we don't rest in our circumstances. We don't rest in our vacation. We rest in Jesus, his person and his work. And if we're always looking forward or always looking back, we're not looking at him. And so I just had to realize that. And and so I just did it in two ways. Maybe this will be helpful for you. I just said, okay, during sabbatical and going forward, I'm gonna try to be fully present where I am and fully present with who I'm there with. And so fully present where I am, like this season, not just this city, but this season that I'm in, I wanna be fully present with that. But listen, that's hard to do sometimes, right? So I'd have to keep being reminded. Okay, this is happening here. This is happening over there. This could happen when we come back. But I'm on sabbatical right now, and I want to be fully present where I am in this season. uh, My youngest daughter, again, she was so funny. One, One of the times we were still in Phoenix. We did travel a lot, but we were in Phoenix, and we were walking my dog, Lincoln, and it was hot. If you're new to Phoenix, it gets hot in the summer. I'm sorry. And we're walking Lincoln, and it's hot. And my daughter just said this. You'll love this. She said, why did God call us to the desert? (laughs) And the reason she uses that language like called us is because we constantly tell our kids, God called us here. (laughs) And she's in the moment in this season trying to fully embrace the present and she can't because it's too hot. She's like, why God call us here? And so even in those moments, we had to say, okay, because he was going to give us a pool. <laughs> because he was going to put mountains around us and Flagstaff so we could hop out of this heat. And instead of complaining, we started to, okay, how can we be enjoying the season that we're in? Everybody, I mean, just as a side note, everybody knows, I mean, it was a joke earlier. You, if you just moved here, you know it's hot in Phoenix. You looked it up on your weather app before you moved. Like, instead of complaining, what about enjoying The pool or someone else's pool or the pine trees two hours away. And uh, that's just simple, but just what if we just enjoy the season we're in? Some of you, you're not married and you think, man, when I get married, then I'm going to do this. And you romanticize the future instead of enjoying the power of the present. And some of you, you think when I graduate, when I start my career, I mean, then I'll be considered legit and people will start respecting me. And then I'm gonna walk in these ways and then I'm gonna set up these disciplines in my life. And some of you think when I get that promotion and when we pay off this debt, anybody feeling me? Then I'm gonna do these things. It's not bad to have goals. It's not bad to have visions and dreams. But when you're so romanticizing the future, or for some of you, regretting the past, and you're missing the power of the present, you're missing God. Don't miss where you are now. Don't wait for where you're gonna be next. And then another thing God showed me was just be fully present with who I'm here with. My wife and I celebrated this summer our 15th anniversary. And so yeah, you can clap for that, thank you. And so one of the things we did was just, we just said, hey, it's sabbatical. It's also our 15th anniversary. Like, we're going to get away, and we're going to go on vacation, like real vacation, which means minus kids. <laughs> Amen, parents? Okay. I'm just being real with y'all. I just got back from sabbatical, and y'all aren't helping me out too much. i got to be honest with you. Come on, parents. You know that's true, right? So here's what we did. And parents, don't be bitter, okay? I share this with some risk. Don't be bitter. My wife and I went away for 10 days without kids, some oohs and ahs, right? And listen, I just wanted to, okay, marriage ministry is tough to navigate those two. I just told you, confessed to you earlier about that. And we just said, hey, we're going to take this time just to be fully present with one another in our marriage. And we needed to get a way to do that. We needed to have my parents flown in to do that. And some of y'all parents are thinking, 10 days, that must be nice. It's okay. You're judging me privately in your heart. It's okay. We, we flew in my parents, Right? We had somebody, our associate pastor, who I just hired, who has a golden retriever also, just like we do. I called them on vacation because it was too much for my parents, three kids plus a dog. So I called AC and said, this is why I hired you. <laughs> you better come get Lincoln. My parents can handle this. Listen, it was hard, it was messy. It took some work to rest. But we wanted to be, my wife and I want to be fully present with one another, and we did the work to rest so we could do that. And some of you guys, you need to be fully present in your season. Some of you need to be fully present with your spouse. And the best parent you can be to your kids is being the best spouse to your spouse. And some of you are nudging each other right now, (laughs) or in your heart. You know that's true, right? And I would just challenge you, find a way, fly people in, spend some money, call your person who works for you to help with the dog and and be fully present with who you're with and shove some things off the table so you can do that. But it wasn't just my wife, it was with my kids. I mentioned three kids, 12, nine, and six. Let me just tell you, they have grown up. And looking at those pictures when they were little babies, man, that was a lot of of time and consuming things like with poopy diapers and nap times. Now there's a lot of time with emotions I have a 12-year-old daughter. And there's a lot of time with school and friends and and Harry Styles, God bless them. (laughs) And listen, before I I was fully present with my kids this summer, some of those things I just didn't know about. I didn't know about, like I knew my daughter listened to T-Swift. I didn't know how deep it went. <laughs> right? And I had to be fully present with my kids to, okay, tell me more about. Yeah, she, she is a great songwriter. I mean, she was around when I was in high school. Like 20-something later, she still got it, right? And I had to look her in the face and hear her stories. Hear what she was excited about. Hear her pains. Here's what she was nervous about, about going to the seventh grade. And I, I only got that because listen I put the phone down and I took my eyes and I put them on her and I put them on my son I played soccer with him I put them on my little daughter I was fully present in the present and it wasn't always easy but it was worth it and that's something I want to keep going when I'm at the gym I want to be at the gym when I'm at home I want to be at home when I'm with God I want to be with with God One theologian I read said it this way. He said, our minds are like a dog off leash. Anybody relate to that? Man, as I sat alone, I mean, a sabbatical, I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to spend time alone with God. As I would try to do that, just all these thoughts invading my head of like, I wonder how the church's doing. I wonder how this person is doing. Hey, this person hasn't texted me. I don't think they're supposed to text me, but I'd like it if they just tried and invaded my space a little bit right now. And I would start to get all these insecurities, all these thoughts, and all these things would go on, and my mind was like a dog off leash. Instead of reading God's word or praying to him or listening to him, I was doing all these other things. And so for me, I don't know, some of you are more spiritual than I am, so you may not need this. For me, I needed some things in my life, some spaces that helped me be fully present in the present with God. And I've shared this before, but water does that for me so well. Like being being by a, a river, my pool is the waterfall flows, or, you know, whatever it takes, like that's helpful to me, but I can't always do that. So for me, I just learned quiet and coffee. Anybody? Amen. Yeah. There's something about a good cup of coffee. Like, if you get that out to spend time with God, the Holy Spirit's already moving. <laughs> before I crack open the Bible, just with that coffee, amen. Yeah, I got a, there you go. I just really. Okay, I gotta need coffee. I need quiet. So even in Phoenix, there's a couple places I've been to: uh, Canaan in the desert and the Franciscan Renewal Center. These are just places of quiet chapels and prayer gardens where you can go. In Phoenix, and I went a few times, and it was quiet and nobody was there. So maybe don't go there <laughs> and mess that up for me. I don't know if I should have told you. Uh, <laughs> But I'm your pastor, I'm selfless, so I wanna help you experience quiet as well. But man, literally nobody was there. So I just spent a couple hours just like, I just sat there and I just talked to God and I just listened to Him talk to me. And I tried to be fully present in the present with some quiet, with some coffee. What, what do you need to be fully present in the present? What spaces, what rhythms? Like even for five minutes, before you check your phone in the morning, come on, people, talk to God. Sit with God. Uh, Tim, I, I don't have, you don't, you don't understand my schedule. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for rest. I don't have, the, I mean, sabbatical must be nice for you. You're a pastor. You got five minutes. You, you choose what you have time for. Choose to have some quiet with God. Choose to be fully present with God and watch what, just try it this week, and watch what happens, and I could tell you the freedom in my life, the rest I experienced in my life, even just from those few moments where I did that with my wife, with my kids, with God, the next thing, rest has more to do with identity than lack of activity, Rest has more to do with identity than lack of activity. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29, Jesus said it this way, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your what? Souls, not your body, but your soul. You see, rest isn't simply pausing activity, it's being at peace with God in your very soul. So my wife loves to hike, and I love my wife. (laughs) So over sabbatical, we went on a lot of hikes, like Phoenix, elsewhere, and she will always say when she goes on a hike, man, there's nothing more peaceful and restful than going on a hike. And I kind of get that. My my hamstrings don't, but I kind of get what she's saying, and what she's saying is, hey, your body can be moving, but your soul can be at rest. And the opposite can also be true, right? Right? Your body can be completely still. Maybe you lost your job and you're just sitting on your couch, but your soul is in turmoil. Anybody been there? It's a different thing to have soul rest and just a window into your pastor's soul. It's hard for me to have soul rest. It was hard for me to have soul rest on the sabbatical. You see, after we took a few trips and I deleted all the apps and social media and Asana, our task management software. That was a hard one to get rid of. Everybody on our staff knows that joke. After I, I put away all the notifications and after I, we took a few trips, honestly, and that busied me for a while. And after I read Harry Potter, again, I to have a 12 year old daughter, don't judge me, right? And after I did some of those things, man, I just, I was left with, with me And that was uncomfortable for me because there was something in my soul. My body was rested. But there was something in my soul that was a little empty, that was a little lost, that was missing something. See, a little window into my soul as your pastor is I'm an achiever. I like to to do things. And if I'm not careful, I can live my life by if-then statements. You know what I'm saying? Like if I do these things, then God will love and accept me and approve of me. If for me as a pastor, it's if I'm preaching and leading and and building, then God will love me. And I'm not sure if you're anything like me, but it, it took me a while to just realize that and confess that before God. And, And he just took me to his word in two passages. He just kept beating me over the head with in a gentle way, in a gracious way. But just Mark 1, when Jesus gets baptized and God the Father publicly declares over Jesus, get this, before he ever does a miracle, before he ever heals anyone, before he ever preaches the Sermon on the Mount, And God the Father publicly declares over Jesus, you are my son whom I loved and am well pleased with. You read that and you're like, but Jesus, he hadn't done anything yet. The reality is that's because God is a a father who loves his kids before they ever do anything for him, before they accomplish anything. And I read that and God just said, oh, you're in Christ, that's now you, and then I looked at the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 and just read that again. I've read the story multiple times, but I never fully noticed how the son goes away. He rebels. He does all these things. He finally, he gets lost and he comes back and he writes out this great repentance speech. And if you read the text closely, what you see is he never has the opportunity to give the speech. What does it say in Luke 15? About The father. While well, he was still a long way off, he had compassion. Speech hadn't been given. The father had compassion. He runs to his son, embraces him. I'm sure if I was that son, I'd be like, "Dad, hold on a second. I got the speech in my back pocket. Hold on, you got it. You're gonna hear this, and then you're gonna and." and What God is telling us in those stories in scripture is God is a perfect heavenly father who loves his kids, not based on what you do, but because of who you are in Christ. And I remember being in my backyard and mowing the grass and I just lost it because I was just thinking, man, I've preached that so many times, but I'm not sure I've actually embraced it for myself. And I started to think, man, I'm like mowing the grass. I'm like, I am jacked up. (laughs) Like, what is wrong with me? And I just felt the Lord say, hey, I'm glad you're realizing that now. (laughs) I realized that before the foundation of the world. And I still chose to love you. And I still chose to give my son for you. Because I'm your perfect heavenly father. And before you do anything, You're my son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased with. Rest has so much more to do with identity than lack of activity. And listen, I don't think I'm the only one who's been there or might be there today. Some of you, I mean, you're striving and you're straining and climbing that ladder and you're achieving. You just hope one day, one day I'll be able to rest. But for now, this sin, I know it's still there. I know I need God. I'm gonna get, I got this list. I got this speech prepared. And God's brought you here this morning to say no. While well, he was a long way off. A long way off. He had Compassion before you read the speech, before you did the thing. Some of you need to know right where you are today, listen to me, listen. God sees it all. He knows it all. Like not just now, like he's getting up to speed on it. He saw it all in your life, before the foundation of your life and this world. And he said, I love you. And my plan is to give my own son for you. And that is your identity. And that's where you get rest for your very soul, amen? That's how it happens. And so you can have some lack of activity, sure. You can increase your activity and go hiking if that's your thing. But rest in your identity in Christ. It's a daily battle for your identity because everybody else, including yourself, is telling you where your identity lies in your achievements, in your sin, in your struggles, in your victories, in your job title. And God's going to tell you, no, it's you're my child in Christ. When I see you, I don't see your sin. I see my perfect son. So you can rest. Put down some of the luggage. You can let go of some of the baggage. And you can trust me with it. One of my favorite things about the Gospels, I read a lot of the Gospels over the summer, was how time and time again you see Jesus tell somebody who he heals, hey, your faith has made you well. You notice that? Hey, your faith has saved you. You notice with Peter, all the time, what's God trying to get Peter to do? What's Jesus trying to teach Peter? Hey, Peter, I know you got some plans. I know this is different than you would have thought. Will you just trust me? I love that. Just today that What if the invitation was just simply trust in God? Just simply trust Him. So much of rest, so much of rhythms of rest and work and so much of identity and so much of being fully present in the present comes down to this. Do you trust God? Do you trust that He's good? I mean, this isn't just going through the motions. Do you trust God? Do you trust that he's good? Do you trust that he's mighty? Do you trust that he's loving enough to care? He's powerful enough to do something in your life about your situation, about your sin, about your schedule. Do you trust him? This morning, I believe God's teaching me some things, but he wants to teach you some things through me. And it's this, that we are called to simply trust God. And Open up. Some of y'all, you're going to have to do it like one by one finger. Like open up. You're closed-handed. And God can't, listen, God can't fill those closed hands. He needs you to open them up, to drop the luggage. God, I want to trust you. Help me understand what that means for my work week, my rest, my identity, my being fully present with my kids, with you. God, I want to trust you. And you just open up empty hands of faith this morning. And I believe that's why God has brought you here. Just simply trust him. There's different ways you can do that. You can let out a shout and just, God, I trust you. We're saying you can do that here. This is a safe place. You can come down the altar and just maybe kneel at the altar. We don't do that as much anymore. That's one of the things that I want to change. Next week, you're going to hear about that as a church and and reflections on our church. I want to open up the altar. If you need to come down and just publicly take a step of faith and say, God, I trust you and kneel at this altar, you can do that today. We don't have to wait till next Sunday. For some of you, it may be a public shout. For some of you, it may be a private cry. Just God, I'm just going to release my marriage, my career, my finances, my sin. I'm just giving my work. It's just, I'm going to open my hands and trust you. Listen, you can trust God. He is faithful. Amen? Here's how I know that. Everything hard you've been through in life, He has brought you through. You know how I know that? Because you're here with breath in your lungs. I know there's a lot of chaos. I know there's Afghanistan. I know there's racism. I know there's polarization. I know there's politics. I know there's COVID. I thought it would be gone by the time I got back. I know it's still there, but you're still here too. So I mean, God has a plan. You can trust him. He's gotten you through. He will get you through. He is faithful, amen? So would you trust him? It's good to be back. Let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to trust you. God, you brought us here to remind us we can trust you and we can rest in you and we can be present with you. And God, I just pray for these men and women. I pray for even the ones who are watching online, God, that God, if needed, it would be a hard process, but they would just take those closed fists and they would make them open hands. And they would just confess some things right now. They would just cry out to you right now and and just declare that they trust you. And they would, for some of them, take a step back and rest because of that. For some of them, take a step forward and act because of that. But God, you would lead us as we would trust you. God, you are faithful. You are good. We thank you for this opportunity to trust in you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.